Many are getting rich. Many are failing. And many have fallen in their faith. Learn how to become an overcomer in this end time through the anointed teachings of Pastor Ebenezer Okonifa. Pastor Ebenezer Okonifa is an emerging voice and a leader in this end time movement of faith. His message centers on faith, the Holy Spirit, and the realities of the new creation in Christ. He is a senior pastor of Overcomers Nation Church and president of Ebenezer Okonifa Ministries in Accra, Ghana. Become inspired, empowered, and enlightened as you listen to the life-transforming message of God's Word through His special servant. And now, today's message. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Lift up your right and say, in the name of Jesus, the Father, thank you for bringing me to church. So tonight, speak to me. I declare my heart is open, my mind is ready to see from you with meekness your word that is able to change my life. So Father, cause me to hear from you tonight. Let my life never be the same again. So Daddy, minister to me. So Daddy, I want to hear from you. So Daddy, provoke my ears to pick your words. Provoke my heart to receive your life. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of the Lord. And by your light, may I see the light. By your light, may I see the light. So I will enjoy light tonight. I will enjoy light tonight. And my life will never be the same again. In the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Give him praise. Give him praise. Give him praise. Give him praise. Hallelujah. Can you take your seat in the presence of the Lord? Precious Holy Spirit, we are here to receive from you. You gather us under your feet that you may speak to us. Tonight, minister to us. Touch these leaves of clay. Let them minister as oracles unto you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight, let every bondage be broken. Let every demonic oppression be destroyed. Let every power of the enemy over the atmosphere be bound. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, that's know the living God. As we share your word, open up the hearts of your children. Let them have insight. And by the insight from your word, may they be transformed in Jesus' name. Somebody shout every game, man. Give a clap of thanks to the Lord. Psalm 65, the verse number 11. If you have your Bible, just open quickly to that scripture. Psalm 65, the verse number 11. I keep encouraging everybody, make sure you come to church with your Bible. Uh, technology fails us sometimes. So uh, when you have your Bible, you, are, you can safeguard against that kind of calamity. Psalm 65, the verse number 11. He said that you crown the year. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Holy Bible. You crown your year. You crown the year with your goodness. You crown the year with your goodness, and your past drip with abundance. You crown the year with your 
goodness. Here you can see clearly that the psalmist is talking about God. And so he's saying that God has a habit of crowning. When we talk about the crown of the year, we are talking about literally the end of the year. When the year is fully fulfilled, the very last part of the year. So he's saying that every year has a crown. And that is uh, basically when the year is fully done. It's fully done. And he says that when we get to that part of the year, God has something that he does. He crowns the year with something that is called the goodness of God. The goodness of God. Romans chapter 11 the verse number 22 he said behold therefore the goodness and the severity of God this is King James version is anybody with another version of the Bible he said behold look upon consider and understand behold therefore the goodness and severity of God the goodness and severity of God is anybody with another version of the Bible other than the King James Version? Yes, can you read for me? The kindness and then the sternness of God. The kindness and the sternness of God. Any other version? Any other version? Uh, that NLT New Living Translation, yes. Notice how God is both kind and severe. Notice how God is both kind and severe. Look, there is a, a revelation we need to understand about God. That, you see, your experience of God depends on you. Your experience of God depends on you. He says, behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity, the sternness, the hardness of God. He said, on them which fell severity, but towards you, talking about the children of God, his goodness. And then he said, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shall be cut off. So he's talking about two categories of people who have experienced two manifestations of God. Number one, his goodness. There's something known as the goodness of God. And number two, there's something known as the severity of God. You see, unfortunately, there are many Christians and many of God's children today that want to believe that the severity of God is his major attribute. It's his major part. It's, it's what, what God actually wants for his children. So sometimes we are serving God, and we are serving God in the light of the fact that God is some, some, some terrible being who is looking for his children to make a mistake so that he can come crashing on them and say, Ah, I've got you. I've got you. I've got you. God, as if God is always conscious about sin, looking for our mistakes and our errors. But here, the apostle is elucidating to the people that there are two aspects of God. And it looks as though if you study their writings very carefully, God's default aspect is his goodness. His default aspect is his goodness. And he says that the only way you experience the severity of God is if you fall away. So it means that so long as you are in a normal relationship with God, the first inclination of God to express himself to you and in your life is to show you his goodness. Are we together? 
Are we together? Can you see that picture over there? Or we should read it again. He said, therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. So, there's a part of God which is the goodness. Uh, the Hebrew word is from two, it means that it's pleasant area. Uh, uh, the part where he thinks about our welfare, he brings prosperity, wealth, abundance, progress, his kindness towards us. That's why other versions are his kindness. How kind God is, and He can also be stunned. And the severity is talking about His sternness, the propensity He has to punish. The propensity He has to uh, hold people responsible for their actions and, 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 and punish them. And He says that this, is, this aspect is to those who fail, severity. But towards you, He said, towards you, that is His, his default. Towards you, His goodness. And he says that if you continue in his goodness, you continue walking in that goodness. Otherwise, if you decide not to walk in that area, you will experience his severity. You will experience his, uh, his sadness and you will be cut off. Glory to Jesus Christ. But I pray for you, may, not, may you not be cut off. I say, may you not be cut off. So, the Bible is replete with the insight that there is something known as the goodness of God. Psalm 23, the verse number 6. Psalm 23, the verse number 6. He says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hallelujah. Come on, someone received it as a prophecy. Surely goodness and mercy. But you see, I was meditating on this scripture, and something excited me. He says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. How many, for how long? So it means that there is a possibility of experiencing God's goodness every single day of your life. (laughs) That means that the experience of God's goodness is in dimensions. There are those who wait for the crown of the year goodness. And so they wait for the seasonal manifestations. But this man is saying that I will walk, the goodness will chase me every single day of my life. There's a dimension where you experience God's goodness from time to time. Today God shows you kindness, and then tomorrow you go through some problems and some challenges, and you don't see the goodness of God at all. And then, then after three months you see some goodness of God, and then you come and you have a testimony, you come and share, oh, hallelujah, praise the Lord, church. God has been so good to me, but he's telling us something, if there is a possibility of experiencing God's goodness, how many days? All, no majority of the days, all the days of my life, all the days of my life, it is in the goodness of God that his healing power is evident, it is in the goodness of God that his supply power is manifested, it is in the goodness of God that his protection can be harnessed. It is in the goodness of God that you can experience deliverance. It is in the goodness of God that favor begins to work. And he's saying that it is possible to experience something known as the goodness and the head of God, the mercy of God, all the days, my goodness. That, that thing, uh, when, when I, was, I was meditating, it, it struck me so strong. I was like, gosh, it means that it is possible to wake up every day, and it is not wishful thinking. It is not just trying to excite yourself. It's not just trying to tell yourself something to uh, tickle yourself and love. To experience, to expect, and to experience God's goodness every single day of your life. Every single day of your life. This is a light 
that when it comes into your spirit, it changes the way you relate with God. And it affects your expectation and your desire of the faith to which you have been called. The faith that has been given unto us. In the book of Jude, it says that we should strive earnestly for the faith uh, which has been delivered unto us. Our faith is something that we must strive with all energy and all zest for. Every component of what God has made available for us, uh, whatever he has said that he has, he has said, uh, that he's given us an opportunity to believe and to receive. He says that we must not sit down on it. Uh, we must not be lazy about it. Uh, we must not take it for granted. Uh, we must strive. Uh, we must fight. Uh, we must push uh, until we see the fullness of our faith. Other than that, our lives become topsy-turvy. We are up today, we are down tomorrow. We are up today, we are down tomorrow. We are healthy today, we are sick tomorrow. We are strong today, we are weak tomorrow. We are rich today, we are poor tomorrow. You see, because we have not gotten to the point where we are experiencing the full extent of our faith. No wonder the book of Philippians, it tells them, work out your faith with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Some people thought that scripture means that, oh, it means that you have to work to get salvation. No. It means that salvation is a package that has been given to you and it has been placed in your spirit. Work for it to manifest. Work it out. Let it come into expression so that you see the full rigors and extent of your faith. What salvation has brought to you. And so Paul will tell Timothy, do what? Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. So we must get to the place where we can believe God for big things. I think God bringing big things into somebody's life. Psalm 27, the verse number 13. Psalm 27, verse number 13. He said, surely, he said, I would have fainted. I would have fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The goodness, again, we see him talking about something known as the goodness of the Lord, the tube of God, the tube of God, the grace of God, the pleasure of God. The, uh, I was studying it and I realized that it also means good things. There are good things that God can bring away. In fact, it also means comparatively better. It means that anything that you are experiencing, the goodness of God can bring something that is comparatively better into manifestation in your life. Everything, there's a better version. I said there's a better version. I said there's a better version. May you have faith to receive the better version. May God stir up your faith to receive the better version. Look, I have made a determination that I need to experience a better version of whatever I'm experiencing. As a pastor, there's a better version of church that God has available. And I want to experience it. And I am striving by the grace of God to come into the place where I walk in the manifestation, in the supply of God. There's a better version of God's supply than what I am experiencing. I must strive that by faith I will press into it. Remember what Paul said in the book of Hebrews. He said, labor towards enter into his rest. Shake yourself, put in all the energy that you have so that you, be, you may be able to push and enter that thing called the rest of God. 
And it is possible to labor to enter there. I believe that that is what Jacob did. He was born with a natural uh, disadvantage, being the second born. That means that naturally he was not going to receive the blessing of the firstborn just by reason of how he was born. So what does he do? He sees that the blessing of the Lord maker rich and added no sorrow. He sees that the rest of God is the place of the blessing. And unfortunately, naturally, he was at disadvantage. His, 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 his position caused him to be disadvantageously disposed. So it was one, it looked like an impossibility, but he needed to push extra harder. So for every opportunity that he got to take advantage of the, of the grace or to take advantage of the situation, just to enter into that place of blessedness, he would do something about it. Eventually, it became so. Eventually, you know. According to the custom of the Jews, it is the first one that receives a blessing. Come and talk to me. It is the first one that receives a blessing. That means that the kingdom is for the first one. That means that the blessing is for the first one. That means that the leadership is for the first one. But when we are talking about the people of God, we talk about the Jews. And we talk about the Jews, we are talking about the Israelites. And we talk about the Israelites, we are talking about the Jacobites. And we talk about the Jacobites, we are talking about the one who was second position. But some way, somehow, he is the one that we are talking about, the one upon whom the blessing came upon. And up to today, over 6,000 years down the line, we are still seeing them operating in massive manifestation of the blessing of the Lord. Why? Because they had a grandfather who said that even though I am second position, I believe that I can push myself into the blessing. He led back to enter into the blessing, into the place of rest. Until today, we are seeing that rest manifesting. If you don't understand, you clap. <laughs> Glory to Jesus Christ. Labor. It means that you can push yourself. I was telling somebody the other day that you, see, you can push yourself from the place where uh, you are disadvantaged into the place of advantage. Engage the necessary spiritual exercise, the necessary spiritual energy, like I was sharing with you on Sunday during miracle service, developing spiritual capacity. You need to develop your capacity to the point where you are experiencing advantage, where you are experiencing blessing, where you are experiencing favor. Other than that, if you continue in the way that you are going, oh dear, the devil will make a mess of you. The songwriter said, the book of he said, if I don't pray, Satan will make mess of me. I'll pray, I'll pray, I'll pray, oh, I'll pray. If I don't pray, Satan will make mess of me. If I saw Crony prayed, if the woman of God celebrated her birthday prayed, who am I not to pray? If Pastor Wisdom prayed, if mention your name, pray. <laughs> Glory to Jesus Christ. And it's like a joke, but it's true. If you don't position yourself in a place where you are spiritually stronger, you'll be wondering that you did you come into this world at all. You'll be wondering that were you also born amongst human beings? Am I also part of the children of God? Labor to enter into the rest of God. And that is why I'm sharing with you on the subject of the goodness of God. 
the goodness of God. There's something known as the goodness of God. The goodness of God. The mercy of God. The kindness of God. The graciousness of God. They are parts of God that are available to his children. And he wants us to experience. He said, consider therefore two aspects of God. The goodness preliminary first and the severity of God. But God wants you to experience His goodness. Look at what uh, uh, God told Moses to deliver unto the children of Israel. He said, I presented before you two things, life and death, blessing and curse, and choose life that you may live. God naturally always wants us to go for His goodness. He knows that He has made that available. You see, if you are always experiencing the bad hand of God, then it means that you have not positioned yourself well. In fact, you have worked very hard to put yourself in a bad position. Glory to Jesus Christ. Lift up your right hand. Say, I'm walking in the goodness of God. Look at the psalmist. He said, I would have fainted. I would have given up. You see, and that is why many people are giving up. Because they are not keeping their eyes on the fact that God is a good God and that there is a goodness of God that they can experience. Let's look at the scripture again. Psalm 27, verse number 13. I'm taking my time today because I want somebody to come to a place of realization and a place of decision. That no, this thing is available. It is a real thing. It is something that is real. It is an experience that I can have. He said, I would have fainted. I have fainted unless I believe to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. He said, I would have given up. Except that I have put it in my hand, my my mind, and in my heart. I have to experience that thing that I've heard about, that I've seen God do, called the goodness of God. Called the goodness of God. There is something called the goodness of God. May you experience that thing. I said, may you experience that thing. Psalm 31, the verse number 19. He said, oh, how great is thy goodness. Oh, how great is thy goodness. Psalm 31, 19. Which thou hast laid up for them that fear you. Look at that. It means that the way laid, it means that you have prepared it. You have made it available. You have made it accessible. He said, oh, and it is not small. He said, oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for them that fear you, which you have wrought, you have worked for it, you have prepared it, crafted it, to, for those who trust in you, in the presence of the sons of men. Hmm. In the presence of who? In the presence of who? So it means that the goodness of God that we are talking about, it is not something that you are supposed to experience when you get to heaven. It is among men. In the presence of the sons of men. You see, this is the same thing he was referring to in Psalm 23, verse uh, number 5. Said, you laid a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anointed my head with oil. My cup ran over. Surely goodness. It is an expression of the goodness of God. When we talk about the goodness of God, we are talking about the God factor that comes in your life to cause you to be different among the rest. The presence of God, the God element that causes you to stand out in the midst of men. 
It is like a light that comes upon you, and because of that light, certain experiences, certain manifestations come into your life that cause you to stand out. It is from the Greek word, uh, the Hebrew word tob, like I've been mentioning, T-O-B, T-O-O-B, depending on the reference material that you are using. It means pleasure, precious, prosperity. It means sweet wealth, welfare. It means good things. It means good benefits, good benefits. It is what in the New Testament we call the grace of God. If I were to look in the New Testament, you realize that the word grace covers a lot of Old Testament words like goodness mercy, the, the kindness of God, the graciousness of God, that grace covers all of these things. So we talk about the goodness of God, we are talking about the benevolence of God expressed to us man. It is the grace, peace, and the message of God towards humanity. It is the nature of God. Now that is very, very important. When we talk about the goodness of goodness is not something that God has. It is something that God is. It is not just an attribute that he has. It is actually a description of his character. The Bible tells us that Moses said, If indeed I have found grace in your sight. You see, isn't it amazing? Moses was not a very good guy. The Bible says that God said, The Bible says that God showed his acts to the children of Israel. But what did he do to Moses? He showed him his ways. He showed him his ways. Because you see, when you are somebody who is always working with God in a legalistic manner, with a certain kind of fear, as though God is looking to crush you, you always experience the law aspects. And you experience the acts of God, but you don't know God for a person. The real personality of God is that he's a good God. And so Moses experienced and enjoyed the grace of God, but he gave the law to the Israelites. He walked with God as a gracious God. And then he went to read the law to them that, hey, you have to do this, or that I'm going to kill you. Hey, you have to do that, I'm not going to kill you. Hey, you have to. And but he could go and stand in front of God and challenge God. Hey, God, don't kill these people. If you want to kill them, then kill me too. Because my life is alive. <laughs> the man was walking with God in the light of grace. And he handed the law to the people of Israel. So he knew the ways of God because grace is the way of God. If I have found grace in thy sight, then show me your glory. So God said that nobody can see me and leave. He said, no, 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 still, uh, you have to show me, <laughs> you have to show me something. So God said, okay, I'll put you in the cleft of a rock, and I'll let my backside pass by you, and I'll show you a bit of who I am. A bit of who I am. In the book of Exodus chapter 33 verse 19, he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy unto whom I will show mercy. That, 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 that declaration that God made was manifested in Exodus 34. You read the verse number 5 to the verse number 8. And the Lord descended in the cloud, and he stood with him there, and he proclaimed the name of the Lord. And when he proclaimed the name of the Lord, look, Look at that. The name of a person is talking about the identity of the person. So it is from the word Onoma. Onoma. His identity. What is his description? Oh my God. So God was not coming to describe himself to Moses. He was coming to show Moses who he really was. The one that they call Yahweh. The one that they call Jehovah. The one that he, he revealed himself as Elohim. Who is God? When we are talking about God, we are trying to understand who God is. Who is God? 
Oh, I worship you, God. God, I believe in God. Who is that God that you believe in? When they say describe God, how will you describe God? What is, the, what is his height? What is his, his skin color? What, what, how is the tone of his voice? How will you describe God? Now God said, that I have come to show you my name. I'm come to reveal my identity to you. My God, my God, my God. The Bible says that, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God. So, you see, God has started mentioning his name. The Lord, the Lord God. And then now, in the description of his name, he now goes into his nature. And he says, I'm merciful and gracious. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Long suffering, meaning it is not easy to make God angry. It is not easy to make God angry. Long suffering, it means to suffer long, to endure. Long suffering, and it says abundance in goodness and in truth. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And and that will by no means clear the guilty. So you see, before even God begins to talk about punishing people, He shows people how gracious He is. So I want you to I want to introduce you to a gracious God. I want to introduce you to a God who is not looking to kill you, but is looking to build you. I want to introduce you to a God who is not always watching out for your sins, but is always looking for an opportunity to bless you. He's always looking for an opportunity to favor you. He's always looking for an opportunity to show himself strong in your life. Look at a forgiving. That means that even before God goes to the point where he says, I'm going to punish you, he makes forgiveness available first. The first thing that God presents to you before punishment is his forgiveness. One, he is good to you. And then, by your own mistakes and your own errors, you make a mistake. And so, by the dictates of justice, he should punish you. But before he punishes you, he said, Oh, you can ask for forgiveness. <laughs> My God. What do you think happened in the garden? The Bible says, When the voice of the Lord was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, the Bible says, Adam, where are you? As though God did not know. He said, What have you done? As though God did not know. He was extending a, a, a rope to them, a rope of salvation, to see whether they would be able to take advantage of it. If they had repented in the garden, ah, the Yahweh has happened all this while. Oh, oh, you think that God will not, will not have forgiven them there? All the problems that came as a result of the curse would have been averted. And even in the midst of that, when they could not, you see, and that's a problem, oh, you see, your ability to graciously accept when you are weak and when you have committed error shows that you are dependent on God. Instead of Adam telling the Lord, Lord, I have, I have done the wrong thing, Lord, show me mercy. He said, Lord, it is the woman that you gave me. So, now he's blaming two people, God and the woman. You see, and that is the reason why many people don't experience grace. They are defensive all the time. Always trying to prove that they are right. Always trying to prove that they are, they are, they are, they are, they are in the right. That was the problem of Job. So Job's problem protracted until the time he said, Ah, God, who am I to be accusing? 
So I've heard of thee by the ear and the ear, but now my eyes have seen and I bore myself. Ah, God, there's none like you. Ah, Baba Oluwa. Oh, there's no one like you. No matter what I'm seeing around you, you are still God. No matter how, what I'm experiencing, that's, you, are, you, are, you, are, you are in a class of your own. You are a gracious God. At that time, do you know what has happened? His eyes have, he's taken his eyes, his attention from himself now. All his attention is on God. Let me tell you something. Before God, it's not about whether you are right or you are wrong. It's about who you are looking to. Who is your, the center of your focus. Anybody who operates in guilt and sin consciousness, your focus is no longer on God. Your focus is on yourself. Because now you are condemned by what you have done to the point that you cannot see how gracious God is. It is the same thing for those who are self-righteous. So there are those who think that God is being good to them or God should be good to them because they are always in church, because they are always doing the right thing, because they have never uh, done uh, lie before, they have never stolen anything before, they have not done anything that in their eyes is so gravely, gravely wicked. And so they become self-righteous. They also miss the grace of God. Jesus shared a parable. He said that two people came to stand before God in prayer. There was a Pharisee. He said, Lord, you know me. I've paid my tithes. <laughs> you know me. I've not committed anything before. Like the wicked publican that is standing over there. Fire burning thunder over your head. He said, wicked man. But Lord, you know, I've done everything that you have said. Uh, there's nobody holy like me. Uh, if you go, Christ, you came down, maybe. <laughs> And the other one was saying, Lord, forgive me. I have no strength of my own. I've done that. I'm the weakest of the weak. The Bible said, the one who left justified, who left the presence of God justified. Justified means that God let his grace of righteousness come upon that person. Was a publican, the wicked one, who came and opened up his heart and said, Lord, not by might, not by power. What I am, I, I am, whatever you want to do, do with me. But the one who said, ah, you know, I've done everything right in your sight. Listen, I'm talking about the goodness of God. And if you are listening, you have already be, begun understanding how you can position yourself with the goodness of God. Position yourself to experience the goodness of God. Glory to Jesus Christ. I said, glory to Jesus Christ. The goodness of God is the component of God that inspires loving worship. No fearful reverence or worship. There are two categories of people who worship deities. There are those who love him. In fact, the only people who love their deity and worship their deity because they love him are Christians. All the other people, they fear their deity. They fear him with some kind of fear that he's going to kill them. He's going to destroy them. If they don't do that, that thing, the Jews... When the Jews, the Jews, you see, you cannot love God except the Holy Ghost comes into your heart. So that's why God kept telling them, love him, love him, love him. And they still could not love him because it takes the Holy Spirit to be shed abroad in our hearts. For the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost who was given to us. So it is a new creature who carries the propensity and the capacity to be able to love God. That is why up to the day of Jesus, they have been worshipping God through the law for hundreds, for thousands of years. Yet Jesus will come to the Samaritan woman and say that the Father seeketh true worshippers. Meaning up to now for over 4,000 years, he has not found true worshippers. 
4,000 years, he has still not yet found the true worshippers. But they, the Jews, were the ones who said that we worship God in Jerusalem, in the temple, at the right place. You, Samaritans, you say you are worshipping God in the mountains. Look, God was the God of the mountains in the days of Abraham. But now he has come to the temple through the temple that Solomon built. You are off. And so the people who were off and the people who were on, all of them, he still said, God still said, I am still looking for true worshippers. Because until Jesus came and the Holy Ghost was given, no true worshiper could be born. Nobody's worship was good enough for God. Hmm. Glory to Jesus Christ. Is <laughs> somebody hearing something? It is past true worship. You see, you cannot worship God truly except to see Him as a good God. You cannot worship God except to identify Him as a God of all grace. As the God who is looking to favor you, who is looking to help you, irrespective of your weaknesses or your strengths. With Him, everyone is equal. With Him, there is no favoritism. The Bible says there is no favoritism with God. There's no favoritism with God. He sees everybody as the same. You see, men are the ones who look at other men and they judge amongst men and they choose one and they reject the other. But he says that for, uh, for God, no, he operates by a different set of rules. He loves you, not according to your standard, according to his standard. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, I said, hallelujah. No, no, you see, you the, you the bad one, you should be thanking God right now. And then you the good one, you should be thanking God right now. Because it does not depend on you, it depends on Him. And if it depends on Him, if the standard is for good, it's for, it, it, it takes good for God to love you. And they say that the standard is not yours. God is forever good. Oh, you are not getting me. That means that day and night and in any time in between, God can still show you his love. And if he can show you his love, he can show you his goodness. That's why you can be in a car accident and the car will be rolling. You don't have to scream. Say, thank you, Lord. I've been delivered. You'll be delivered there. Because even in the midst of that situation, in the microcosm of the presence. <laughs> Glory to Jesus Christ. Now I come to check, come with this now, yeah. Amen and amen. In the microsoma sincerity of the... <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. I beg, I'm not even sure I'm one or some of the best are in the Bible. <laughs> I, in the, I in the dictionary. That's why I am crafting them right here. <laughs> but I hope you are getting me. You can, when you know God as a good God, He's constantly good irrespective of how good you are or how bad you are he is constantly good the Bible says even when we are unfaithful he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself he cannot deny himself he said it is for my name's sake it is for my own name's sake not for your name's sake not because of your own ability but for my own name's sake Oh my God. Somebody, your million dollars is coming not because of you, but because of him. Oh, you are not getting me. You see, you need to start, when, when you are hearing the word of God, like now, begin to program it into practicalities. So if God is a good God, 
What does his goodness mean to me? What can he do for me? He's saying that took means his pleasure. It means wealth. It means his, his grace, his kindness, his benefits. 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 Glory to Jesus. When Moses saw it, he made his and he bowed his head toward the earth and he worshipped. Because the goodness of God, the revelation of the nature of God always inspires and leads you to worship. This month we are talking about celebrating God for his goodness or celebrating the goodness of God. We can never truly celebrate God until we catch the revelation of his goodness. That is why the Lord has asked that I start sharing on the subject of his goodness. Of his goodness. And I'm taking my time because I want to trust God that if I use my prosoma and it is too big for somebody, I'll use grace and it will be okay for another person. And everybody will get what they are supposed to get. <laughs> I beg my presumer, uh, it is a component of cell. Glory to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. It is a component of what that is past loving worship. You can, nobody can be saved until they see, see the goodness of God. Now this is for the evangelists. Until you are able to inspire somebody to see how good God is, their salvation is not real. So, they will accept Jesus because they are trying to escape hell. But it is not escaping hell that saves you from hell. It is the goodness of God. It is the goodness of God. Romans chapter number 2. The verse number 4. He said, Or despise thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that it is what? Really Oh, come on. It was the goodness of God. What have you do? It leads thee to repentance. It is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. If you are walking in sin, and you are walking in addiction, and you are doing certain things that you don't like, you see, the only thing that can bring you out is the revelation that God is a good God. I was around Accra Mall. Sometime last week or so, and uh, just uh, opposite the, one of the bus stops at Akramor, somebody had mounted a, a, a megaphone or a PA system and was preaching. And I was saying, you masturbator, masturbator, God is, you, please, you have to, you go to hello, less than you, hey, my goodness. Hey, and that was the entire message. You see, Calling out the sins of people cannot save them. Can I tell you why? The prophets of old, in the Old Testament, most of them spent a greater portion of their message calling out the sins of the children of Israel. He said, I'm full of power by the Spirit of the Lord to declare unto Israel her sin and unto Jacob her, his, her transgression. So, they were always, and yet Israel, up to today, still not saved. But when Jesus Christ came, and came and said, the enemy cannot but to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come to give life, and to give it fully, <laughs> more abundantly, without adding any condition. For God so loved the world, that he gave us his begotten, only begotten son, that whosoever will believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting. That is when salvation came into this world. 
when somebody came to tell them that, hey, it is not about your sins, but God has prepared something beautiful for you, a kingdom has he made available unto you. That is when salvation is very coming. So he said that, go and preach what? The gospel, good news. Oh, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of them that carry glad tidings of good things, of good news. Good news, what is good news? A news that is good. And news that is what? Good. And information that inspires joy, inspires happiness. It gives you hope. It tells you that, ah, even, look, and that is why the gospel is so powerful that it can even, it moves, you see, the gospel was so powerful, it moved from among the Jews. Because for the black man, uh, if, if the Jews were black men, then maybe for the Gentile, who was not a part of the commonwealth of Israel, and who was rejected and damned unto destruction to hear that there is a grace of God that has, that has made room available for you before God. That is good news. That is good news. I, I hope you are getting me. That is good news. That is good news. Those who are on social media today and they are castigating that the white man brought his religion. Listen, Christianity is not religion. The white man came to tell us it's religion. Christianity is not a religion. You see, what, let me tell you one of the reasons why I know Christianity is not a religion. Have you realized that it's even difficult to point Christianity in one way? When you go to some place, Christianity is, uh, is uh, everything. Even some place where they don't clap their hands and they are still worshipping God. They stamp their feet as their way of celebrating God. And then you come to a place that overcomes it, and, and we are so worshiping God. Hallelujah. But if it was religion, everywhere it should be the same, the same, the same, the same, the same. But there's a liberality in Christ. I said there's a liberality in Christ. Hallelujah. Uh-huh. Hallelujah. You go to another church, they say, nobody, you, you people, God is coming. No, you just accept Jesus Christ. So another church, say, hey, if you don't make noise, God is not here. Hey, it's still the same Jesus. Because Christianity is a relationship. It's a revelation. And it's an encounter of the pulsating. Oh, it's a large word. Pulsating. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Hmm. Uh, yes. Oh God, I'm trying to look for a smaller word for possession. Hey. Anyway, you let me remember possession. It's the life of God in a human vessel. When you, say, when you put your hand on your chest, uh, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Come back to church. <laughs> when you put your hand on your chest. Or maybe a, a part of your body where you see the blood vessels are, and you, 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 you feel the, the pulse. You see, it's like something is pumping. Pump it. That is what pulsating means. So, well, so I can go back to my word. Eh? So, Christianity is the pulsating life of God flowing through a human vessel. Somebody give the Lord a shout. Hey!
Hallelujah. Without the goodness of God, without knowing the goodness, we cannot worship you. Oh, you have rejected the name of God. I say, we will not feel God. And when we feel God, it will be a sensual feeling. It will be just physical, emotional. But when you know God for His goodness, it is a knowledge. Do you understand me? There is knowledge. There are some people, you see, when a, a, a couple, to a man and a woman come together and they get married or they, they get to know each other very well, there can come a point in time that in the, as the, their knowledge of each other grows, they can even get to a place where they can remove their clothes in their, each other's presence and they are not worried. It's called intimacy. It's a place where whether you, you it is not based on feeling, it's, a base, it's based on knowledge. It's at that place where somebody can eat the food of uh, the wife or if the husband decides to cook, yeah, because husband cannot, should also, also be able to cook. Yeah. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Even if Gary's cooking, so you try to cook something. Eh? <laughs> and you are not afraid because you know this one will not do me harm. It is knowledge. <laughs> Hallelujah. Please don't know I'm the preacher. Don't listen to any other message in the church. I'm the one preaching. I say I'm the one preaching. Every other preacher, please be binding in Jesus. <laughs> it is knowledge. When you get to know God, and that is where strong faith develops. When you don't know God in the context of His goodness, your faith is never strong. Your faith is never strong. When you know God as a judge, you don't have faith. You have fear. Oh, you're not getting me. There are two forces that control life, faith and fear. Yeah. Faith and fear. The reason why everybody wakes up in the morning and they go about whatever they are doing is because of these two things, faith and fear. Somebody will work himself from morning to evening, not just because he wants to do well, but he's so afraid of poverty. Fear, controlling force. Another person is working in hope because as he's working, he sees his prosperity. He sees his next level. He's, he's working with hope. Faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Are we together? People come to church because of faith or fear. Some are in church and will come to a church like this where we do come out, come out because they are afraid of the devil. Fear that something is going to happen to them. So when I come and I come under this covering, Others will come based on the revelation of what God is able to do. And it's at that point that even when they begin to grow, even when they are not in church, they will still see miracles. So it's based on the knowledge of the constancy of God's nature and of who He is. Tonight, I just want to deliver something to you that our God is a good God. And not only is He a good God, He is goodness. The goodness is not just something that he has. 
When we say God is merciful, it's an understatement. He is mercy. When we say God is kind, it is an understatement. He is kindness. When we say God is beautiful, we are actually belittle God. He is beauty. Everything that we used to describe God, it is not, it is wrong. He is, oh dear Lord, nothing can be described as beautiful except it's compared to God. Nobody can become merciful except their expression is similar to how God shows himself. No one I say that you are the light of the world. That means I'm going to show the world how things are supposed to be seen. It is when we begin to fully manifest, the world will realize that, ah, what they even call riches is no riches at all. What they call good life is no good life at all. What they call whatever they will call it is not anything at all. We carry the truth. That's why Jesus Christ came and said, I am the way. I am the truth. The word truth means reality. I am what really is. Without me, nothing has properly been defined. Every definition that is outside of me is a fallacy. It's a mistake. It's an error. It's an error. Said they walk on in darkness. They walk on in darkness. The Bible says darkness covers the earth. Gross darkness of people. That darkness is not just the darkness of sickness. It's the darkness of ignorance. It's the darkness of ignorance. Erroneous conceptualization of God. Who God is. And what this world is. And who man is. And what man is supposed to do. It is in this darkness that a man will go and cast another man and say, I lie on your back and let me use my pen into your pen top. And you say that, oh, I, I was watching something uh, today. I, I, you know, you know, when you are, social media is full of rabbit holes. You meet something and then you click and then you click and click, 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 click. <laughs> you probably realize you have spent one hour. <laughs> oh, please, sinners, we are all here. <laughs> it's the goodness of God that we are all here. <laughs> and I saw one lady, and it was a skit, this uh, Kumawood uh, superstar. <laughs> and there, a gentleman was saying, was was, was talking about why she's dressed in that, yeah, this is, he came and said, that, oh, it's a Kenya, I say, 500 Ghana, I say, hey, yeah, I have young queen inside, I say, oh, why, why, what do you mean? He said, oh, but are you not a prostitute? Are you not a prostitute? I said, oh, what do you mean? Oh, but the way you have been dressing, the clothes you are wearing, and uh, walking about the house, oh, we thought, we all think that that's the work you are doing, so I've gone to pull cement and to carry labor, and I've got 500 Ghana, and I've come to come and exercise myself. <laughs> The kind of foolishness that they are putting out there. But you see, this is a lesson that I want, I drew from it. The woman said something. Anybody who does not have the knowledge of the truth will not realize it and may actually in, uh, end up being the indoctrinated. Or say, when Namoyama in conforming to me express your mood. So to her, dressing provocatively is a way of expressing and everybody should accept that me today is how I express myself. They walk in darkness. And it is not is it this was started in the Western world. So 
when you see, some years ago I encountered a certain woman on Facebook and she was talking about the various men that she has left with. She spoke about Ghanaian men. Hey, spoke about Ethiopian men. said Ethiopian men are dangerous. Ah. And she spoke about Kenyan men. She spoke about Caribbean men. And do you know what? They were, ex- they were celebrating her because they said that she is expressing her sexuality. She has received, to them, she has received liberation because people are stereotyped and they don't want people to do it. Oh, we have done well. So she has become a celebrity because she was fornicating and having sex all over the world. Globe trotter. <laughs> it was then that I saw that darkness covers the earth. Gross darkness. The people. But thank God, we are rising and we are going to shine. And by our light, the world shall see the light. Say, Father, let my light so shine in the name of Jesus Christ. Say, Father, give me revelation of your goodness. And by that revelation, let my light shine and educate the world in the name of Jesus. Talk to the Lord right now. Talk to the Lord. Talk to the Lord. Talk to the Lord. Talk to the Lord. Mashallah Bakata. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. For more inquiries, visit our website www.ebenezaokolipa.com or call 0546-363957. God bless you.